turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2. All right, you guys may have heard uh, my story before, but going into my senior year of high school, I was going to a summer camp called CIY. And uh, CIY is kind of like student life where there's different camps at different college campuses and campgrounds all across America. Going into my freshman year, we went to Messiah College in Pennsylvania. That was awesome. That was a really long road trip, really cool. And then I uh, went on my first mission trip that next year to a place called Kansas, Oklahoma, Cookson Hills. We went, it's kind of like the boys' ranch. We went and served there. That was my first time in Oklahoma as a sophomore in high school. But then going into my junior year, we were talking to our youth pastor, and we are like, hey, let's go to CIY in Florida. Like, that would be awesome if we went to Florida. Long bus ride would be really cool. And you know where he chose? He chose Roach, Missouri. Roach, Missouri, Camp Windermere, if you've ever been there. I was like, we want Florida, and you go take us to a place called Roach? Like, what in the world? So I had a bad attitude as we went, and uh, we're going. And we go there. It, it's, a, it's a decent time. It's a fun time. Thursday night, we're going to service, and they have a big call to ministry session where they're calling people out, um, and the Lord's starting to call people for salvation, but calling to ministry. And at first, I was, you know, didn't really want to give into it, but at that time on that Thursday night is when I felt the call to ministry from the Lord and surrendered to ministry. Really exciting. I get back home, and from different people, didn't really encourage me in that way. They said, "Well, you." can't really, uh, you know, support a family on a, on a ministry budget, you should try to look for something else. So I was a little discouraged, and I went elsewhere. I started college as a secondary education major, as a middle school, high school education major. So I, I could have been your history teacher and your coach. That, that was the path I was going down, was a teacher and coach. And I did that for two years, and my sophomore year, I had this professor that just Loved herself a lot and told us all about the time that she did some summer teaching at Harvard and she was teaching 19th century America and my love for history died that semester. I was like, I, I do not like this. But in college, as a, as a history education major, I also in the summer, I went and worked at Canica. So I worked at the summer camp and it was my second summer where the Lord really began to pull and, and, and you know, say, Dylan, figure this out. Because people were asking me, you get into college, hey, what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do for a job? And I was like, well, I'm a history education major. I don't really want to teach history, though. You know, I kind of lost my love for teaching history. But I was minoring in ministry. So I was like, okay, God, I got you, but, like, you're down here. Like, a minor in ministry, not my major. But I started telling people, like, I think I want to do something ministry-wise. And I continue to tell person after person after person, I don't really want to teach history. I think I want to do ministry. And it was at that moment the Lord convicted me and said, you haven't fully given me yourself. And at that moment, I, I left camp for a little bit. I called, uh, I called my parents and I said, hey, I'm transferring to Bible college. I'm surrendering fully to ministry. I tried to do my own plan. In, in my first college, in my first major, I had this whole life built up. I had you know, this family I wanted to be. I had this job I wanted to be at my local high school, do the whole hometown thing. Like, I had this whole life built and envisioned, and I didn't have God anywhere in it. And God broke that dream down and gave me a completely new dream, which I'm super thankful for my family, 
for my uh, role to be the student pastor at Twelve Springs Baptist Church. Super thankful for that. But I can I tried to create my own plans, but God broke those down. Because here's the the, the gist of tonight. As we start a new series called The Characters of Christmas, we're gonna we're gonna talk about this guy named Herod. Not really the person you really talk about during Christmas, but we're gonna talk about this character of Herod and how he tried to defeat God's plan. And just like in my own life, when I try to defeat God's plan and do my own thing, God's plan eventually won in my life. So as we look at the person of Herod tonight, I want us to understand this overarching thought, this overarching theme, that God's plan cannot be defeated. God's plan cannot be defeated. No matter how many times you try to run the other way, no matter how many times you plan to do something else, God's plan cannot be defeated. And we're going to see this thread in the story of Herod, of how he tried to defeat God's plan, yet he was unsuccessful. He failed at it. So let's pray as we open up Matthew chapter 2. God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for this opportunity to open your living and active word. God, for us tonight, would you encourage us? Would you enlighten us um, to trust in you despite our situation, despite the things going on in our life? And Lord, that we can find joy and peace in your presence. God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to look at different aspects of why God's plan uh, will prevail and it cannot be defeated. The first thing we're going to look at tonight is that God's plan cannot be defeated despite a troubled time. God's plan cannot be defeated despite a troubled time. Let's read the first couple verses of chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born of the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So we see this, this, the setting, the time of this story. Herod is the, uh, he was born in, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and you have Herod the king. He was the king, the governor of Judea. And we're going to see Herod as this real bad guy in the story, and the fact of the matter is, he is a bad guy in the story. But to understand this moment fully, we have to take a step back and go all the way back to the beginning of Scripture. Because what we see here is that Herod is going to try, try to thwart and defeat God's plan. He's going to try to stop God's plan. But we know that he is just one piece of the whole puzzle that has tried to stop God's plan over the years. Right? At, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, right? They were living in harmony with the Lord. What did Satan do? As he came down, he tried to defeat God's plan from that day on. What's he do? He lies to Adam and Eve, and he gets them to sin. But God makes a promise in Genesis 3 that one day Satan will be defeated. But we see this continuing trying to thwart God's plan over the arc of the Old Testament, right? You got Cain and Abel. You got a brother killing a brother, but God still works despite that and doesn't allow that to defeat. You got the Israelites that are enslaved to Egypt. God raises up Moses to release the Israelites. You got David and Goliath. And David defeats Goliath. You have all these different stories and so many more that show that there's a spiritual battle going on in our world. Of evil trying to defeat God's plan. Satan trying to defeat God's plan. So this is the context. This is just a big piece of a larger story of their, 
of people of Satan trying to defeat God's plan. So the question is, okay, we hear about Herod. We see he uh, is the king. Who is Herod? So let me give you some tidbits on who Herod is. He was a Roman-appointed governor of Judea. He was uh, looked at as a great builder. He built impressive aqueducts. You guys are probably, the aqueducts, you probably studied that in your history classes. Um, And he was a great builder of many things. But he was also described as ruthless, as paranoid. And people knew that he was not from the kingship line, his lineage, that he was not a legitimate king. So he was paranoid, he was insecure about who he was in his kingship, in his governorship. But here's a list of some of the violent acts that Herod did. He killed the final members of the Hasmonean ruling family. He had many of the members of the Sanhedrin executed. He slaughtered members of his own family, including his wife, his mother-in-law, and three of his sons. Herod's not a good dude. He's a bad dude. He also attempted, as he was dying, he attempted to kill all of the elite leaders and rulers of Jerusalem when he was going to pass. This didn't come to pass, and they did not die, but he was that spiteful type of guy. I'm going out, you're going out with me. So we see the setting of the, the evil versus God, Satan versus God's plan, but we also see that Herod is this paranoid, insecure ruler that ruled with paranoia, fear, and anger. So this is the background of all in which is happening in the birth of Jesus. This is a troubled time that Jesus is being born into. This isn't, oh, just a great day at the hospital. Jesus was born. Everyone's great. No one's against him. No, you got a dude that does not like Jesus in which we're going to find out. This insecure, paranoid, angry, murderous ruler. But we see in verse 2 and 3 it says, uh, Behold, the men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So imagine if you're Herod, you're hearing about this this baby that was born that's going to be a ruler. Imagine the insecurity in him, the anger in him, the paranoia in him that has just skyrocketed. His blood pressure is all the way up. Verse 4 through 6 says this, or verse 3 through 6. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now, it doesn't say anything about Herod not liking Jesus, wanting to kill Jesus, wanting to do anything to Jesus in this point. But we understand the context of who Herod is. And it says he's troubled by the news of Jesus' birth. So it's a troubled time. Something's going to happen, and we're going to find out what happens here in a couple verses. But verse 4, after he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him, verse 4, and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For, for, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd, shepherd my people Israel. So they're saying, hey, this Christ that's to be born, hey, this Jesus, this baby that's to be born, it's told in the scriptures that he's to be born in Bethlehem. So again, paranoid, insecure, angry ruler. He hears of this person that was born, that scripture says he's to be a ruler over all of Israel. You think Herod's going to be like, oh man, I, I can't wait for Jesus to be here. 
Like, no, he does not want Jesus to be here. The insecurity, the anger is rising up in him. And it, this is an important theme that we're going to see throughout these verses, is that scripture is going to continually be fulfilled in the, the story of the birth of Jesus. As it shows here from Micah 5.2, of where it says in verse 6, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler will shepherd my people Israel. It is a prophecy that the Messiah, that the ruler who will shepherd Israel will come from the town of Bethlehem. Where was Jesus born? He was born in Bethlehem. What an incredible thing that we're going to see over and over of all the prophecies of the Messiah to come are fulfilled in the New Testament. It just gives you more and more reason to trust Scripture. Verse 7 and 8. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent to them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, and I too may come and worship him. Now you can read this in a cheery tone, but I don't think that's the tone that's happening here. He's not saying, Oh, hey, search for him diligently so I can worship him. This insecure, paranoid ruler, he's not saying this in a happy tone. We don't see what his plan is yet. But we know this is kind of like as you're watching a movie, as the tension is building, the tension is rising in the passage because Herod wants to know. He's summoned. He's trying to figure out where is this baby, where is this child, and let me know where he is so I may come and see him. He says worship him. I don't think that's true. Let's read verses 9 through 12. After listening to the king, they went on their way. The wise men, and behold, the star that they had been that had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. So the wise men are following the star. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. What we see here is that despite what's cooking in the background by Herod, we don't know what it is exactly, something is cooking in the background and we've got a bad feeling about it. Despite all of that happening, despite the troubled time in which Jesus was being born, we see a glimpse of light and joy in this passage. It says in verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And when they went into the house, they saw the child, and they fell and worshipped him. Though things may seem ominous, ominous, though things may look troubled, though things in your life don't look good, parents may be fighting, may not be getting the good grades, friends may be bickering at one another, despite what's going on in your life, we see from this passage, and we know from all of Scripture, when we go and see Jesus, there is great joy in him in the presence of Jesus. That when we spend time with Jesus, we receive joy. And it's just an overflowing of worship when we see him. God's plan cannot be thwarted by a secret plan of man. Herod's got this secret plan we're about to find out in a couple verses, that despite all of this, people are finding joy in the presence of Jesus. And I encourage you, in troubled times, holidays are really tough for people sometimes. Whether it be family members, Maybe there's divorce, maybe there's loss in the family, maybe there's just estranged family members, 
it, it brings up a lot of feelings and a lot of emotions. Some of y'all might have just experienced that at Thanksgiving, and some of you guys are looking towards Christmas and thinking, I don't want to go through that again. But despite whatever's going on, whatever tough time, trouble time you find yourself, you can find joy in Jesus. When everything else looks bleak, no matter what's going on, no matter what you think friends are saying about you or planning against you, you can find joy in the presence of Jesus. God's plan cannot be defeated by a troubled time. The second thing we see about God's plan, it says, God's plan cannot be defeated despite a threatened heart. God's plan cannot be defeated despite a threatened heart. You guys ever dealt with a bully before? Ever dealt with a bully before? You see a lot in middle school, elementary, even in high school, where kids are just bullying one another, making fun, gossiping, picking at, social media-wise, in person. There's a lot of things that bullies do and a lot of avenues in which they get people. And what you probably hear early on from teachers and your parents is that bullies aren't picking on you because of your lack of something or your deficiency. Bullies are typically bullying because they are insecure about something in their own life. And they're choosing to put the focus on someone else so they don't have to, to, to ponder and think on the insecurities in their own life. So what do bullies do because they're insecure? What do they do because they're threatened by someone else's uh, positive in which is their negative? They lash out at other people because they're paranoid, kind of like Herod. Were you guys ever like cornered an animal before? Like you've been outside chasing a rabbit or you feel like once cornered you, you're in your house and there's a spider and you're trying to get it. And it's like a jumping spider, so it's like ready and pounds ready, like ready to get you. Like those things, I, I don't enjoy those situations. It's kind of like when you look at a cat, you don't know what's going on. Like, like it could just like attack you in any moment. Like if you get a spider or some kind of animal in a corner, like wild animal, I, I want you out of my way because they're going to lash out because they're threatened. When you're threatened, you begin to lash out at people. And what we see in this passage is that Herod is threatened by the birth of Jesus. So he lashes out in a really depraved and broken way. It's a threatened heart is dangerous, but it still cannot defeat God's plan. Let's look at verses 13 through 16 of Matthew chapter 2. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Again, we're seeing at the end in verse 15, out of Egypt I called my son. This is fulfilling scripture once again that the Messiah was to be called out of Egypt. Another just cool side tidbit that scripture fulfills scripture. But we see... In verse 12 and in verse 13, that God speaks to people in dreams. He spoke to the, the wise men and says, do not return to Herod. And they depart to their own country. They didn't go back to Herod and say, hey, this is, where, this is where the baby is. This is where the child is. God spoke to them and redirected them. Well, God speaks to Joseph here. And he says, and he appears to him and says, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Because Herod's about to search for your child and destroy it. So that the tension has been rising, the tension has been rising, 
And we see that Herod wants to destroy Jesus. He wants to kill Jesus. He wants to thwart, right? Because we know Jesus is the Son of God. He was born to live a perfect life and to die for our sins on the cross, defeat the, the defeat death, and raise three days later. Like, we know that was God's plan. And Herod is trying to defeat it. He's trying to stop it. He's trying to thwart it. But we see that God redirects Mary and Joseph and Jesus, and they go to Egypt, and God saves them. And it says to stay there until Herod dies. Can you imagine you're Herod, you're you're insecure, you're lashing out because you're threatened by Jesus. And you're like, okay, I need to search, I need to destroy this. And God's like, hey, I'm just going to send you guys to Egypt until he dies. Like a big, powerful ruler who has the power to kill his his wife, his mother-in-law, his three sons. Like God's like, I'm so much bigger than your secret plan that you're trying to accomplish. That should give us encouragement that despite what's going on, God is much bigger than what's going on in our life. And again, Scripture is fulfilling Scripture. So how, how was Herod going to destroy Jesus? How was that going to happen? We see in verse 16 through, uh, through 18. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years old or under, according to that time when he had ascertained from the wise men. Now, you guys typically don't read that in the Christmas story, do you? Like, it's Christmas morning before you open Christmas presents. You're not like, well, Herod then killed all the male children, two and under. Like, that's not typically what we hear on Christmas morning. Um, you know, unless you guys are like, we're reading Matthew 2 to remind you guys. Uh, but we see he became furious. He sees that the wise men tricked him, so then he's, you know, he's angry. He sees that he's been duped. So he's lashing out because he's even more threatened now because things are going against him. His plan is failing. And what he does is he kills all the male children who were two years old or under. When you're a dad, and I'm a young dad, and I hear this, I'm like, no, Noble's safe by a couple months. Briggs is right in that two and under age at one year old. Like, it's one thing to, to hear about stories of, like, war and men dying. And like, it's still a tragedy, but it doesn't really hit us that much. But imagine, in all of Bethlehem and the region, every two-year-old boy or under was killed. Like, we can't, like, right now, like, in Edmond, Oklahoma, we don't really fathom that a whole lot. But if you think about it in a wide scale, like, abortion, that kills a ton of babies every single year slaughtering them. Well, if you're paying attention to anything into Israel, you got the terrorist group Hamas. They're not just killing hostages that are adult men. They're killing women. And they're torturing and killing babies. Like, let that sink in the depravity of this world. The depravity in Herod's life that he was threatened so much and he wanted his plan to, to be accomplished so much that he started killing babies throughout the region. Throughout Oklahoma City County, throughout the state of Oklahoma, he was killing babies because he was insecure and he was paranoid. He'd been tricked and he was taking that anger out. A threatened heart acts in depravity. It lashes out. Again, why was Herod threatened? Because he thought his, his, his whole career, his whole life was done because this Jesus was going to come and overthrow him. Let us not forget, once again, the fulfillment of Scripture in verse, uh, verse 17 and 18, another prophecy 
fulfilled in Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramon weeping loud in lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. The mothers weeping for their children that were slaughtered by this animal who was acting out of a threatened heart. But we see that even in this depravity, even in this utter destruction of sin, we see that it still cannot stop or defeat God's plan. Troubled times can't defeat God's plan. Threatened hearts, even in power, cannot stop God's plan. And the last thing we see about God's plan is that God's plan cannot be defeated because of his sovereign rule. Because of his sovereign rule. Let's read verses 19 through 23. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. Herod is dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. So that was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled that he would be called a Nazarene. Scripture fulfilling Scripture. Old Testament being fulfilled in the New Testament. The confidence in our Bible, we talked about several weeks ago in our series of how should I trust the Bible. But we see the Bible over and over and over again fulfilling what it says in the Old Testament. And everything as we look to the Messiah is being fulfilled. That they didn't go back to Judea, they went to Galilee, they went to Nazareth. And it is from there that Jesus' ministry launched. It was all a part of God's plan. If you look at this. Right, it says he, uh, you know, Herod dies to, to rise and take uh, the child to the land of Israel. Uh, but he heard that Archelaus, in verse 22, was reigning over Judea in place of his father, Herod. So imagine God said, hey, go back here. Uh, it's good. Herod's dead. But you hear about this Archelaus dude that is reigning. And it's the son of Herod. Now, he had a rough childhood. I would have just imagined Archelaus had a rough childhood. His mother was killed, his grandma was killed, and his three brothers were killed. That's probably some emotional scarring that has gone on in his life, and he's probably a little messed up from it. Now, he's probably got a little crazy DNA in him, and now he's reigning. So get this. So understanding Herod has died, so maybe the threat's over. Maybe this is just going to be a happy triumphant tale, a happy fairy tale story at the end where the ruler is great, the situation is great, and you know Jesus makes his way and doesn't have any type of pushback in his life. No, that like the very next step is that the ruler probably still hates Jesus. He probably is falling in line with his with his dad Herod. Which I tell you tell you for this reason. Right, we find hope and joy in Jesus. But just because we find our hope and our identity and our joy in Jesus doesn't mean that everything is going to be hunky-dory in our life. Doesn't mean that the ruler of the world, ruler of our nation, is going to be hunky-dory, great thing, honoring God. Doesn't mean that our friend group is 
going to just absolutely love us and never gossip about us or never bully us. It doesn't mean that we're only going to get A's in school. It doesn't mean that we're only going to get the best boyfriend or the best girlfriend we could ever get. Things are still going to go wrong in your life. Though sin is in this world, though sin is rearing its ugly head every single day, both in our world and both in our life personally, God's plan is still beyond that. It cannot defeat God's plan. Because you think all the way from Adam and Eve and, and God's prophecy and of what was to come in the Messiah. But think about Jesus, right? He defeated Herod. Herod didn't kill him. From the very beginning of Jesus' life, he had people that were trying to defeat him. As a baby. Like, I, none of y'all have come up to, to, to Briggs and be like, I'm going to beat you up. I'm going to beat you. I'm going to, let's race. Ha ha, I beat you. Like, no one's, do, from the very beginning, people have been against Jesus. But then you see him grow up. He starts his ministry and they're like, this carpenter, this dude is going to be, going to say he's fulfilling prophecy. This dude's going to go preaching. Who is this guy? We know him. We saw him grow up. From the very beginning of his ministry, people were pushing back and trying to defeat God's plan. We see when Jesus started doing miracles, people were saying he's possessed. He's possessed by demons and that's why he's able to do the things that he's doing. They're trying to undermine Jesus and his ministry. We even see Judas going behind his back, a secret plan of man trying to defeat God's plan all the way even up till the end. We see that the, the Jews, they wanted to kill Jesus. They said, this will stop Jesus. This cross will humiliate him. We will torture him. We will whip him and we will crucify him. That will stop Jesus. But guess what? It didn't. Not even the cross, not even the most humiliating, most grueling death can stop the plan of God. What does the story of Herod teach us? As the band comes up, what does the story of Herod teach us? Overarching, I want you to understand, God's plan cannot be defeated. Not by the secret plans of man, not by the outward plan of man. Nothing can defeat the plan of God. But in this, in this book, there's a book that I've, I've read by Daniel Darling. It's the Characters of Christmas. That's where we got this idea from and some of the commentary from. He has a little portion at the end of his chapter. He was apparently a speaker probably three years ago, four years ago. He, he, he has this little chapter, this little section in this chapter on Herod that talks about the Herod inside of us. Again, you probably don't read Herod on Christmas morning of him slaughtering babies. And you probably don't look at the Christmas story and say, Herod's my dude. I'm like Herod. But as I saw that caption, I was like, okay, what's this dude about to talk about? And what he talks about in the chapter is that there are parts of us that's afraid and insecure of Jesus having full lordship in our life. We're afraid to give everything to him because that means our life will change. Herod was afraid for Jesus to come because he knew his life was going to change drastically. But there are parts in our life right now that we don't want to give up to Jesus because we're afraid things are going to have to change. We're going to have to stop gossiping. We're going to have to stop looking at pornography. We're going to have to stop bullying. We're going to have to stop being so self-consumed we can't see anybody else in our life. And you may be just like me at the beginning 
where I was so self-consumed. I had this vision for my life. I had all of this that I wanted to do, and God had no place in it because I wanted to create my own vision. I wanted to create my own future. When we give everything up for Jesus, our life drastically changes. So there's a little bit of Herod inside of us that doesn't want to give up that lordship. It doesn't want to give up that reign in our life and in our hearts. So my challenge for you tonight, believers, what is it in your life that you got a Herod response to? That you are holding on to because you don't want things to change. And as we sing, I want I wanted to encourage you to lay that down. Whether that's coming up and praying at the, the foot of the stage or turning around and praying in your seat. I want you to acknowledge what are the things that you are holding on to that you don't want Jesus to be Lord over. But I also want to talk to you tonight for those that are in those troubled times, you're looking at the context, the full story of what's going on in your life, and you are overwhelmed by your family situations, by your friendships, by school. When you spend time in the presence of Jesus, you will find great joy and peace. Despite friendship issues, boy-girl issues, family issues, you can always turn to Jesus, and you will find great joy. And I want to encourage you, if you're in here tonight and you have not made a decision to follow Jesus, I promise you, his plan cannot be defeated. He has a plan for each and every single one of you. He had it for me and he's got it for you. Is today the day that you're going to realize his plan is for you to follow him with everything that you have? I encourage you, if that's you, I will be up here. We got leaders in the back that want to talk to you, that want to talk to you through the decision of surrendering everything. Let me pray. God, thank you for your living act word. Lord, thank you for the Christmas story. And Lord, even though we see depravity described in Scripture from these awful characters like Herod, killing babies, slaughtering them because he's insecure and he doesn't want to give up his life to Jesus. God, I pray that you would make it evident in someone's life tonight that they have not given their life to you. They've been trying to rule it and reign it and run it all by themselves. But God, I pray that they would see that it does not end up well. They are going to be like Herod, where they're going to see their plan begin to fall little by little by little. God, I pray that you would make it evident in their life that they need to surrender you tonight. And for those that are believers, God, would you convict them in the areas that they're holding on to, that they would be fully surrendered to you. God, as we sing tonight and proclaim your name and proclaim your goodness because you deserve it, I pray that we would look back at the story and see that from the beginning of time to the end of time, you will not be defeated because one day you will come back reigning and we will come back with you in heaven. Praise the Lord that that is our future, that you define.